And now, gambling terms. Snake eyes. Rolling ones with a pair of dice. Double down. Doubling the original bet for one more card. Bad beat. When your strong hand gets beat. Illegal gambling can put you at risk. Protect our communities. Play legit and gamble only where it's legal. Learn more now at playlegitco.com. A message from the Colorado Division of Gaming. Gambling problem? Call or text 1-800-GAMBLER. Hello, and welcome to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Nicole Turner, college professor, PhD student, and true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or is associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from one to five on my very own serious crime scale with one being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to five being very serious. This second episode is also rated a five. It's a story that shows even though the Cleary Act helped in making great, important strides to keep college students safe on campus, there is still a lot of work to be done, particularly when it comes to domestic violence. Because in this story... Even though she did everything right, campus police still failed to protect her. Some might even say it's a preventable murder, but I'll leave that for you to decide. This is the story of Lauren McCluskey, and it takes place in Salt Lake City at the University of Utah. It's titled, When a Cry for Help Wasn't Enough. So, without further ado, let's get started. Lauren was a beautiful blue-eyed girl with long, straight, silk-like brunette hair. Since she was 18 months old, Lauren grew up in Pullman, Washington, which is a quiet college town and home of Washington State University. She was the daughter of two college professors, Jill, her mother, a professor of economics, and her father, Matt, a physics professor. In an episode of Dateline on NBC, Lauren was described as, quote, a parent's dream, end quote, because she was not only studious and an accomplished athlete, but she was also just a good kid. She wasn't a big partier and she didn't get into any kind of trouble. Jill described Lauren as beautiful, but she said Lauren didn't seem to know it. She described Lauren as always being disciplined, focused, and driven. Lauren was good at many things, but what she truly excelled in was track and field. Her bedroom walls in Pullman were adorned with all sorts of track memorabilia that documented her accomplishments in high school, including a slew of medals that hung in rows one after the other. Lauren was so good at track, particularly the hurdles and high jump, that she earned a full-ride track and field scholarship to the University of Utah in Salt Lake City. However, despite her accomplishments and accolades, Lauren remained humble and shy, not wanting the attention on her. According to an article in the Deseret News, a Salt Lake City daily newspaper, when Lauren wasn't training or studying, she volunteered at the Humane Society near her home. While in college, Lauren remained the same, 
She kept a close circle of girlfriends, but she didn't date a whole lot. She had dated a couple of guys, her mother said, but it was never anything super serious. She mostly stuck to hanging out with friends, studying, and focusing on school and track, just like she did in high school. Lauren reminds me so much of myself in college, and the more I researched this story, the angrier and more frustrated I got. And my heart just breaks for Lauren and her family and friends, and really all of the college girls out there who are just trying to find themselves, who are just trying to come out of their shells and to try new things and enjoy the fun adventures and new experience that college life brings. So as I'm diving further into her story, my empathy is stronger than ever for Lauren and her loved ones. So let's get back to the story. When Lauren first joined the Utah Utes track team as a freshman, she was kind of intimidated by the older girls on the team, according to the Deseret News. Alex, one of Lauren's closest friends in college, said Lauren would often walk around campus with her head down. When Alex would see Lauren across campus and wave at her, Lauren often would not wave back because she just didn't see her. Again, this reminds me of me in college because college can be intimidating and scary, especially for someone who is shy and laid back and focused like Lauren was. And especially for someone who is from a smaller community and isn't used to a much larger environment. Pullman, where she grew up, is a quiet town, but Salt Lake City is much, much larger The University of Utah itself has a population of about 32,000 students, which is comparable to the entire city of Pullman. But while in college, as you get used to it, and by it, I mean juggling all of the priorities and meeting new people and exploring new things, you often gradually start to come out of your shell. It's not uncommon for college students to truly discover themselves and allow their personalities to really shine. And it sounds like that's exactly what was happening with Lauren. As she matriculated through college and her freshman year turned into her sophomore year and then her junior year finally turned into her senior year, it sounds like Lauren simply opened up. It was during her senior year that her friends said they noticed the most change. Lauren was holding her head up high, feeling more confident and less shy and just seemingly loving life. According to the Deseret News article, this change was driven by the fact that Lauren could finally see light at the end of the tunnel. She was about to graduate and go out and see the world. She wanted to move someplace warm and get her own apartment. Independence was just something she was looking forward to. Independence was just screaming her name. Through this change, Lauren began going out with her girlfriends and singing karaoke in front of strangers. One night, she even got her girlfriend's group together to go to a comedy club. And while they were there, she got up on stage and did a little routine, leaving all of her friends in the audience kind of shocked. But, you know, shocked in a good way, not a bad way. Then one Saturday night in September of 2018, Lauren and Alex decided to try out a new bar, the London Bell, which sounds fancy and chic. It was decked out with red velvet sofas, upbeat music, and a lively dance floor. They planned to just go for one drink, you know, just to take a break from the stress of senior year and all the studying, and just check out what all the fuss was about with this new nightclub. When the two girls showed up that night, there was a line to get in stretching out the door. That's how popular this new club was. But the girls didn't mind waiting because it was a beautiful warm evening in Salt Lake City. 
When they finally got to the entrance, though, Lauren and Alex were greeted by a handsome bouncer who later introduced himself as Sean Fields. Lauren was immediately struck by his physique right away. He looked like a typical bouncer, you know, dressed in a tight black t-shirt that showed off his bulging muscles and toned abs. Alex said Sean even reminded her of The Rock, the actor, by the way he looked. Even though Sean was a bouncer, he kept popping up and checking on Lauren and Alex throughout the night, paying extra attention to Lauren, which we all know that that's not really part of a bouncer's job description. So Lauren knew that she was attracted to him and she knew that he was digging her as well. Before they left, Lauren did something that was completely out of her character, but also something that left her feeling confident and exhilarated. Lauren scribbled her phone number on a napkin and told Alex that if Sean came back around before they left, she would give it to him. They were about to leave and making their way toward the exit with no Sean in sight when suddenly he appeared out of nowhere to both Lauren's and Alex's surprise. It was then that he put his hands on Lauren's shoulders, holding her close, but before anything else could happen, Lauren quickly put the napkin with her phone number into Sean's hands and she and Alex hurried out of the bar giggling about what she had just done. The next morning, while attending church, which is something Lauren and Alex did together weekly, Lauren told Alex that Sean had texted her and they already had a date planned to go to a rock climbing gym later that day, just a day after they met the night before. Immediately, Lauren was smitten with Sean. He began courting her, treating her like no other guy ever had by giving her roses and taking her to dinner and showing her off to his friends from work. Her mother described their relationship as, quote, old-fashioned, end quote. Lauren's friends and family said that although she was already a happy person, she just seemed particularly happy with Sean. He was also different than any other guys for the simple fact that he was older. Sean told Lauren that he was 28, so he did have a good seven years on her, but Lauren was mature for her age, so it really wasn't that big of a deal. He also wasn't from Utah. He was originally from New York, but he was attending Salt Lake Community College, working on an associate's degree in computer science while also working as a part-time bouncer in that club. As soon as their relationship began, though, on September 2nd, 2018, It didn't take long for the bliss to turn sour, at least from the outside looking in, because Lauren's friends began noticing some red flags about Sean by September 26, just a few weeks later. For starters, he began sleeping over in Lauren's dorm room nearly every night, which only had a twin bed. But this guy was 28. Shouldn't he have his own place with his own bed? You know, normal stuff that a grown man should have. Also, he began acting really controlling over Lauren. When he would text her, he would expect her to reply immediately, and he'd get upset with her if she didn't. He put so much pressure on her to respond right away that when she was driving, she would have Alex reply to his texts for her. He also would tell Lauren what to wear and where she could go. He'd even ask for pictures from her as proof of where she was and who she was with. Lauren's friends recall that at one point, Sean got so angry with Lauren and stormed off. But instead of reacting like you might think, in defense, she did something that is very telling of domestic violence in a relationship. She blamed herself. 
She said it scared her so badly that she wanted to ensure that she never made him that mad again. She never wanted to see him react like that again. Another time, he showed just how possessive and jealous he really was. When her phone died during a night class, he called her later, outraged, and accused her of cheating on him. But Lauren didn't have a lot of experience with dating. Young, vulnerable Lauren just thought this was a normal relationship. She was dismissing the red flags as normal relationship kinks that just needed some time to be worked out. But Lauren's friends became more and more concerned the longer the relationship continued. Alex told the Deseret News that it was simply in Lauren's nature to see the good in people and not say anything bad about anyone. Alex said, quote, There were times she was emotionally abused when he would say things to her, but she couldn't seem to recognize it. She was under his spell, end quote. By the end of September, Alex and some of Lauren's other friends began noticing that Lauren was not only acting different, like not really acting like herself, but she was physically looking different too, all because of this relationship. It was basically just stressing her out. According to the Deseret News, Alex remembers visiting Lauren in her dorm room and she just looked exhausted. Lauren had lost weight. Her eyes were glassy and hollow and she just looked defeated. Quote, a fragment of the confident, bubbly woman she had been less than a month before, end quote, according to that Deseret News article. Apparently, Lauren had been driving Sean to work and picking him up from the bar. He would send her texts, pressuring her to stay up so she could pick him up, which, if we know anything, we know that bars don't close until at least 1 or 2 or sometimes even 3 a.m., and then bar staff, which includes the bouncers, don't get done until after closing. So this was obviously keeping her up and she was losing sleep because this grown ass man needed a ride to and from work at all hours of the day. Then one day, Sean did something that made everyone around Lauren cringe. He told Lauren that he wanted to give her a gun to keep in her dorm room. That's right. You heard me say it correctly. A gun. Apparently, he had already given her pepper spray as well, which... Seems innocent enough, I guess, but he told her it was because he'd been cheated on before and he had trust issues. So the pepper spray would help to keep her safe from other men hitting on her. Controlling at its finest, if you ask me. But the gun, him even talking about getting a gun for her was over the top and just plain dangerous. When Lauren's resident assistant and friend, Diamond, found out about the gun, though, That was just too much. She told Lauren that not only was this a terrible idea, but it also was against norm policy and it was breaking a serious campus rule. You cannot have an unregistered gun on school property and definitely not without a license to carry it. So Diamond told Lauren she would have to report it to her superiors in campus housing. And that's exactly what she did. But according to Dateline, Even though Diamond reported this incident and expressed that she and several of Lauren's friends were worried about Lauren's safety, campus administration did not seem to take it seriously and never really responded to the report or made anything of it. They never even relayed the information about a potential weapon on campus to the campus police. Instead, they were more concerned on whether or not a housing violation had been made or not. This is mistake number one of many that the University of Utah would make in this case. 
During the beginning of October, just about a month after Lauren met Sean, Lauren went home to Pullman, Washington for a short fall break. While there, Lauren began doing some research about her boyfriend. What prompted this, you might ask? Well, sometime before she went home, she had caught a glimpse of Sean's ID. According to that Dateline episode, it was Sean's face on the ID, but there was a different name listed. According to this ID, his name was Melvin Rowland. So, for the duration of this episode, I will only refer to this guy as Rowland. Also, during Lauren's Googling, she learned that Rowland was not 28. He was 37. That's not a 7-year age difference. That's a 16-year difference. But the most appalling thing she found out was that he was a registered sex offender. He had been convicted of attempted forcible sexual abuse and enticing a minor over the internet. And it gets worse. He had just recently been released from a 10-year prison sentence for that sex crime. Almost nothing Roland had told Lauren about himself was true. He was from New York, but he had actually been adopted after he was born by an older couple. Then, after his adoptive parents died, he was placed into the system and bounced around from state home to state home. As an adult, he later spent time at a Buddhist institute in California and then made his way to Utah, becoming a certified nursing assistant after taking classes at Salt Lake Community College. Also, not only had Roland been to prison and recently gotten out, but he also had violated his parole on at least two different occasions. Once for possession of pornography and another time for failure to complete court-ordered therapy. At one parole hearing, he even admitted that his addiction to internet sexual activity had ruined his life. After discovering this shattering truth, Lauren knew she needed to break up with Roland and she needed to do it quickly. But she didn't know how exactly. I mean, how do you confront someone like this and break ties with this criminal who is three or four times your size and height and weight and who has been blatantly lying about his identity. So Lauren turned to her mother, Jill, and filled her in on what she discovered and asked for advice on how to end the relationship. They got a plan together, but before Lauren could even begin to follow through with it, back on campus, Lauren caught Roland peeping through her dorm window and listening to her phone conversation with Alex. They were actually discussing how Lauren would break up with him. But when Roland heard this, he came storming in, berating her and yelling at her for discussing their personal business and relationship with someone else. This, of course, pissed Lauren off and freaked her out, so she ended up confronting him about everything she had discovered right then and there. That night, on October 9th, she broke up with him in her dorm room, but Roland wouldn't go easily. First, he denied most of it and told her the sexual offense was a misunderstanding, that it was a girl he met at a party who lied to him about her age. According to Roland, the girl was only 17, but she had said she was older. However, according to the Deseret News, in Roland's actual plea to the court, he admitted to soliciting sex from a 13-year-old, not a 17-year-old. Lauren, though, of course, didn't believe any of it, and she insisted he leave. But every time she would try to make him leave, he would force himself on her sexually and wouldn't. Alex, Lauren's friend, said it was naturally hard for Lauren to force him to leave because he was so much bigger and stronger than Lauren. 
Alex said that she herself was even scared of him because of his size. The next morning, as a last resort, Lauren agreed to let Roland use her car one last time to run errands. It sounds like it was her way of just getting him out of her room, which I can say I'd probably do the same. The rest of this story takes a turn for the worst, but there is a very specific timeline of events that escalate between October 10th, the day after Lauren broke off her relationship with Roland, and October 22nd, the day Lauren's life was tragically taken. I'm going to do my best to very precisely take you through that timeline, but it will have to wait until part two of this episode. In part two, I will take you through a timeline of Lauren doing everything right, but it still wasn't enough to protect her and save her life. So, tune in March 15th to hear the rest of Lauren's story when a cry for help wasn't enough. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Big Mad Media. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.